Hi, this is Stan Sakai, the creator of Usagi Jimbo, and you're listening to Spoiler Country. It's time to enter the Spoilerverse via our secret portal of the exclusive Arctic Club in beautiful downtown Seattle with our hosts, John and Kenrick and Jeff. Welcome to Spoiler Country. Hey, if you're listening to our show for the first time and you're on one of the social medias that we're on, like Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, any of those kinds of things, you should always check us out on Spoilerverse.com. But... If you want to keep up with our latest episodes, you should bring out your smartphone, get into your favorite podcaster, find Spoiler Country, and hit subscribe. Then you'll get all our new stuff. And if you want to reach out to us, you can do that in two ways. You can call us, leave us a voicemail at 707-656-2080. Again, 707-656-2080. Or you can shoot us an email at spoilercountry at gmail.com. to the Spoilerverse, and welcome back to Spoiler Country. I'm Kenneth Regan, that's Mr. Horsley, and today on the show, well, it's Stan, sick guy, Stan, Stan, sick guy, Stan, sick guy, Stan, Stan, sick guy. guy. (laughs) 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 It's Eisner Hall of Famer, Stan Sky. Dude, right? Because... This is what happens. You come on our show, and then you get inducted to the Hall of Fame, like Louis Simonson, <laughs> like Stan Sakai. You can't say it's not our pro- not our fault. You can't you say coming out here didn't do it. You can't say it's not because of us. <laughs> right. You can't. So clearly, everybody should come on our show. So there it's you go. like we, so people know, we had this run on the Kickstarter <laughs> signal boost that everybody who came on our show got funded within the next couple of days. We're like, yeah. well, it's not because you didn't come on the show. <laughs> right, right. There was for a while until we stopped doing it because we do them every now and then now, but like, yeah. It's like a 98% fund rate. It's yeah, pretty crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. It's kind of cool, actually. It's super cool. And then <laughs> but, you, can't, you can't say it's not cool. But Stan Sakai is but amazing. We're here today for Stan Sakai. Uh, if you're a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles fan, you know all about him. If you're you a Yojimbo fan. Usagi Yojimbo. I mean, yeah. that thing has been, Usagi's been going for 30 years, man. Yeah. He's, and, he's an amazing artist. Uh, he's an amazing storyteller. We were honored and privileged to actually have him on. Yeah. So, and Jeff, big cost to get sits down and chats with Stan Sakai. And Jeff is a huge Usagi fan. Yeah. He, ha- it was hard for him to contain yeah. his fanboy. So, so we should sit back and listen to Stan and Jeff and listen to Jeff mispronounce all of the character names. Oh, I love it. Let's <laughs> do this. <laughs> Hi, this is Spoiler Country, and we're, today we're talking to the fantastic creator of Yosaka Ujimbo, Mr. Stan Sakai. How's it going, Mr. Sakai? Very good, Jeff. Thank you. Thank you. I'm glad to be with you. Oh, it's certainly our, our pleasure. I've been a fan of yours for quite some time, and I must admit, that the, the moment I started reading Yosaka Ujimbo, I became immediately hooked. So this is actually a really big deal for me. Oh, well, well thank you. Thank you. So I, I do have to ask you, you're living in California right now? Currently in uh, Southern California, yes. And how, how are you handling up, yeah. the new reality that we're living in right now? <laughs> it is wild. It, yeah, it's undergoing so many changes right now. But then I grew up in the 60s, so there was a lot of change and turmoil back then as well. So, it, yeah. So we, we always adjust. Is, 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 does it feel... Like I, I will admit, when it comes to the new reality we're living, especially when, during the lockdown, it had a very much like a dream quality to it. Like it didn't feel like it was really happening. Like you're almost like mm-hmm. um, watching like a, an illusion of what your life was supposed to be like. Are you noticing the same <laughs> thing, or are you kind of like in the groove already? You know, I I'm a freelancer, and like many freelancers, we work at home. So for us, it's uh, pretty much business as usual because I have my studio in my home and we do our correspondence through emails, you know, telephone. And uh, nowadays, you know, we don't bring our work into into the offices anymore. Everything's just scanned and uh, sent in. So I've just been using this time to catch up on Usagi. 
and to do other projects that I've been working. So for you, this is just business as usual. It's like you've been preparing for this your entire life. <laughs> well, it's not just me. I talked to Sergio Aragonez um, uh, the other week, and because we're working on another Gru series, and he says, yeah, it's like, you know, it's except for not being able to go out. It's business as usual. And, I mean, I still take my walks in the morning, uh, and, you know, I still do get to go out because, you know, we live in the um, rural area. And it's, besides from not being able to go to the stores as much, it's, or restaurants, you know, I'm catching up on my work. Now, did I hear right? You're, you're, you're doing a new Grucers? I don't remember that being announced or anything. It has not. It, okay, let's see. Uh, Gru meets Tarzan was supposed to be uh, coming out for in time for Comic-Con, San Diego Comic-Con, but that's been pushed back. And that, that series already fit, it's finished and ready to be printed. And right oh, after wow. that, uh, we've already started on the next Gru series, a four-issue uh, series called, um, I think it's called Gru Against the Gods. Oh, and wow. I'm, I'm not sure when that will be out. We've got a couple of issues already in the can. So, well, like, as I said, it's a four-issue series, and it should be coming out really soon. Well, that's at, fantastic. At um, are you doing the art and the story, no, or no, are you no. artists no. only? I'm just doing the lettering. Sergio Aragonez does the artwork. Mark Ebony does the, the dialogue. And Tom Luce will be doing the coloring. Uh, as I said, I'm doing the lettering only for this. As I have so been for, I've been doing lettering group for the past um, thirty-five years or thirty-six years. How, so yeah. Uh, how, where, now, where do you find the time to do Gru and Usagi Yojimbo? Uh, yeah, I, and I enjoy working with uh, Sergio and Mark and Tom. I turn in an issue of Gru, of I mean, issue of Usagi, about every five weeks or so. And that's a good pace. So that lets me do other things, such as, you know, I worked with Stan Lee on lettering the um, Spider-Man Sunday newspaper strips for 25 years. And uh, it gives me time to do other, you know, work for other publishers or for other projects. Right now, I'm also working on a short story for a Star Wars project. Oh, you know, well, okay. I still have, I still have time things, too. What, what, what the start? That's the Star Wars. Is that for um, Marvel? Because I know I, I think was it IDW has also do like a semi Star Wars related series as well. Or is this for the direct Marvel uh, comics? No, this is for IDW. Yeah, I must and say it, I, I've mm-hmm. talked to a lot of people in the industry, and everyone seems to say great things about you. You have a fantastic reputation in the industry. Oh, thank you. Because. Yeah, we had on uh, Walt Simonson maybe about a month ago, and he talked about a jam, oh, a jam uh-huh. cover that yeah. you were doing together. Yeah, that turned out great. Yeah. It, 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 it looked fantastic, and I heard you were fantastic to work with as well. You know, Walter is just too kind. I've kind of known Walter for decades, and he is such a nice, gracious guy. And this is the first time we actually worked on a project together. And it was just for you know a jam cover where I, I did – well, it was – Two covers, actually. I did the part for Ragnarok, and he did the Usagi part, and could, they could connect together into one large poster. And it was fun to work with him. I laid it out, laid out the double-page spread, and did my part, shipped off to him. He did his part. And we uh, also crossed over into uh, the other person's artwork. So we it was kind of organic, where we, we both worked on the entire... Uh, thing together, so it, it was it was kind of neat, and we also did that. I also did that with Kevin Eastman for uh, Ninja Turtle One Hundred and Usagi Number Six, where I did the Ninja Turtle half, and he did the uh, Usagi part, and it, that turned out fine as well. That, yeah, I mean, from what I heard of, of the Walt Simonson picture, and I, and I have seen it, it looks terrific. And yeah. I mean, for someone who does get along so well and been able to do these jam covers, what is the key to having such good relationships with your fellow professionals? <laughs> I guess just to respect the other person's work and be open to ideas. Walter was great because, as I said, I did the layout and you know, he said, oh, that looks great. And we just went with it. And yeah, it's just nice working with other creators of the same mind that you, know, you have and the same attitude. Like Walter, he's been in the industry for so long. I've been doing Sagi for 35 years. But uh, Walter's tree far longer than I have. I think I first knew his work uh, when he was doing uh, Fafner and the Grey Mouser. This is back in what, the 70s or 80s. 
So I've been a fan of his work for so long. And when Man Hunter came out, my gosh, it was a, such a revelation to me. And he, you know, anything by Walter, uh, I'll buy. Well, like I said, he speaks extremely high, uh, highly of you. And like I said, you've been, yeah, you have been doing Sagu Jimbo for such for such a long time. What, what, what is it about the character that just makes you, you know, dedicate yourself to it to, su- to such a strong degree? Like, what do you love about the character? Well, first of all, I own the character. I own everything about Usagi. So I can do whatever kinds of stories that I want to. I can do straight action adventure. I can do historical. I can do romances. I can do comedy. I, I've done mysteries. I've done just cultural things. And, you know, it gives me the flexibility. I can do anything I want with Usagi. I sent him in space with uh, one of his descendants, uh, Space Usagi, I've had the Martians attack you to Japan, you know, when I did the Senso miniseries. And, you know, it's for me, it's, it's a huge playground. And whatever kinds of stories I want to tell, I can tell with Usagi. Now, how far, I mean, when, when you're plotting your stories out, is it something that you kind of sit down and you just start doing it and whatever comes to you? Or do you, you sit back, plot out an outline and think about, like, what do I want to say today? How, how do you approach your stories? Well, I've got uh, key landmark story arcs that I want to tell, and I know what's going to happen two years from now, or the oh, story wow. that I want to tell two years from now. However, it's the short, smaller stories that lead up to those smaller, uh, that largest epic. That you know, that's that's a hard thing. I've got to uh, figure out a way to tell more stories, but still build up to this big story arc that might be coming coming along the way. And I did that with a, a Dragon Belly Conspiracy. That was I either just reprinted that as an archival edition. And when I first did Dragon Belly, the first, I mean, the eight, seven or eight uh, stories before then were just building up to Dragon Belly Conspiracy. And not Dragon Belly, but uh, Grass Cutter, that's one that IDW did the archival edition of. And... Actually, uh, that that book is uh, nominated for the Eisner Fish. So IEW and Scott Dungia did such a fantastic job with that. But anyway, that's the way I work. It's pretty much I have major story arcs coming up, but I have to be, think of those smaller stories that build up to those major arcs. Now, according to the news issue of IDW, technically, Yusaki Ujimbo has had 247 regular issues. I, I think that sounds, that sounds correct, I believe. That's, that's um, about right, yeah. Like, and you said you're planning to. Has there been any effect on? Because you've been in, you published it with four different companies right now. You've been with Fantagraphics, Mirage, Dark Horse, and IDW. Has your plans mm-hmm. changed at all as you shifted across companies? Well, even before Fantagraphics, I was with Thoughts and Images for a couple of issues of Elbido. I did some short stories for them, and then went to Fantagraphics, then to uh, Mirage. Dark Horse and now IDW. But it's one continuous storyline from the very beginning. I mean, Usagi as a character has grown, he's evolved, he's matured, and there's been never a reboot. It's uh, just one continuous story storyline. It's the life of one character, uh, even though it's switched from various publishers. And the deal I have with all my publishers have always been I'm the creator, and whatever I send in, they publish, and it's been great so far. I mean, I, I've got almost no interference at all from uh, the publishers, except for very minor, minor things, and you know, which which I welcome. But you know, as I said, I I have the, like the perfect creative position where you know I just create and I publish. It's wonderful. And I'm very blessed that I know it. Well, well, like I said, it's it works because, like I said, you're. Well, well, there's a lot of things I, I really enjoyed about you saw you saw and like I said, it, it took me um, a little while to find it, but once I found it, I appreciate what you've been doing so much with it. I think one of the things that I like the most about the ca- the character is that, mm-hmm. and, and the story is that it's not only just an entertaining series, but you actually do a lot of actually educating in it as well. And things like I'm gonna probably get the name wrong. The Kambosu uh, monks were of, of were in there oh, yeah. as well. Mm-hmm. Like little tidbits of uh, Japanese culture and history is put in there. And I, I and I always wondered about like wh- like when you 
put in that information or is it something that you're thinking about prior to writing? Like I want to talk about this thing or is it something as you're writing the story, you think, Oh, I probably should get background information on that. Uh, it's both. I did a story about seaweed farming and that came about because my, when my parents went to Japan on a trip, they went to a seaweed farm and they showed me uh, some pictures and they mentioned, Oh, it's seaweed farming. And I had never heard of seaweed farms before. And it was, I was in, Massachusetts at the Peabody Museum and they had an exhibit on seaweed farming so I took notes and did research on it and came up with a story and the neat thing is that when I was in Japan three years ago I actually visited and I worked at this volunteer work at a seaweed farm in, in oh, that's the cool. Tohoku region yeah it was in the Tohoku region which was affected by the uh, tsunami uh, the earthquake and the tsunami and I just my wife and family, we worked at the seaweed farm for a day, and that was kind of neat. Now, did everyone there know who you were? Did they know that you were the Stan Sakai? No, 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 no one. Well, I did a, a signing, a, a talk at the Kyoto Manga Museum, but people really don't know who I am. Usagi is not translated into Japanese. They do sell the American American volumes there, the, the books, but I don't think there's ever been a Western series that has made a big impact on the Japanese market. So I was virtually unknown. Oh, oh wow. Like, I, I would hardly think that. I mean, it, that seems almost ironic because, I've, like I said, obviously Usagi takes place in uh, 17th century Japan. So you, I would figure it would be as big there as it is here. No. Uh, you know, the Samurai culture itself is not that popular in Japan, from what I gather. It's like the Westerns, you know, cowboys in, in the U.S., it went through gotcha. a phase, but now you know it's you don't see uh, cowboy comics in TV series or anything. It's uh, very you know rare and uh, few and far in between. It's I think it's the same um, with some of that culture, the feudal Japan in um, today's Japan. Now, when you were doing working on the seaweed farm, did you find that doing it gave you a certain um, understanding of it that you didn't receive by just reading about it? Yeah, it, it was neat. It, it, we had a great time. We even got to eat some of the seaweed later, but it was fresh, <laughs> fresh seaweed. But it, it was great. It was like I, I kept thinking, "Wow, this is neat." You know, I researched this, I wrote about it, I drew about it, and now to finally actually doing it, it was it, it was kind of neat. It was like a full circle. So, so how how close do you think it came to how you showed it in the comic books? Like, did you find that you got you were pretty much on the money with how it, what it was like, or did you find like you know what this is a little bit different than just you know than what I was thinking it would be by reading it? It's very different. They have machines though, <laughs> but <laughs> it's like easier. Yeah, our part was stripping off the from the the leaves from the, the the rocks and things, and so that that was all done by hand. But much of it was done with some heavy machinery so it, it, you know, it's very different but still just to do the hands on part that, that was kind of neat now you were born in Kyoto, japan in the 50, 1950s correct yes yeah how old were you when my, you left uh let's see my dad was there right after the war he was with the u.s um, army with the occupation forces and in japan and uh that's where he met my mom and i was born in japan my dad uh my grandfather had immigrated from Hiroshima to Hawaii where my dad was born. And so when I was two years old, my family moved back to Hawaii again, where my dad was from. And I grew up, I grew up in, uh, <laughs> nice. Yeah. That's not a bad way to grow up. <laughs> well, you take it for granted. <clears throat> so whenever I go back, it's like, wow. So over time you're like, eh, whatever. It's Hawaii. It's no big deal. <laughs> Like I said, you take it for granted. I mean, people, yeah, it was just home. That's where I grew up. I guess that's, I guess that's basic human nature, though, right? The, the, you, we, yeah. get, we adjust to things so quickly that it, it becomes the the wow factor of where we are. It gets lost because we do adjust to it so fast. Exactly. Now, from there, you moved to California. So how, how big of a culture shock was this for you when you moved from Hawaii to California? Ah, uh, quite a bit. Just. So we adapted pretty fast. For Oahu, you know, I grew up in Honolulu. If you drive 45 minutes, you're on the other side of the island. And here, oh, wow. I mean, and on the mainland, you could drive for hours and hours and hours and days. I remember having to go to a couple of cities over from Pasadena to 
Arcadia, which is like, you know, maybe a 20 minute drive. And we at first we planned the whole day for it. Uh, well, we're going to pass this city and this city and, you know, they have to take the freeway. And now it's like, you know, <laughs> it's, it's, a big, it's a big shock in, in just in terms of how vast the U.S. is. And but when I go back to Hawaii, I always say, oh, how small the islands are. It's, uh, the streets are narrow. The, the houses are much smaller. And it is a culture shock for me when I go back now. Does it, does it change how you perceive things going from, like, the in many ways, Hawaii being, as you said, smaller? I assume it's also a little less crowded and also probably a lot less, even a word, city cityfied. I, I would imagine that it's, you know, because California is so busy. You know, the cities are so overgrown. There's so much, like, this pollution, all this other stuff. Is there, I mean, does that just change how do you perceive how do you perceive things? Actually, it's the other way around. Honolulu is a lot more crowded. Oh, wow. A okay. uh, lot more high rises. It's just, that, as I said, I grew up in Honolulu, just off of Waikiki Beach, actually. And it's an island, so there are people concentrated in one area, especially in Honolulu. Housing is difficult to get, very expensive, too, so they've gone up. It's Honolulu uh, is very much like uh, New York, where you know they have this tall buildings. I used to be able to see the beach uh, almost from anywhere, any point in the island, and now there's high-rises all over. Even from the Waikiki, you can't hardly see the beach at all because you've got all the hotels in the way. And if you talk about the traffic, it's, you know, it's, there's just uh, three major freeways. Uh, one major, one freeway that goes through um, downtown, and everyone's on there in the mornings, and the rush hour traffic is terrible. But, you know, you you, uh, you learn to adapt to it. In in so when you were growing up, what 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 were you reading for comic books? Oh, just about anything. Uh, I remember read buying my first comic book at Star Supermasters in about 1959. I was about five years old. My mom took me, and I bought the Disney adaptation of Sleeping Beauty. Oh, very and, cool. Yeah, that had pretty much that movie had come out just recently. I remember buying the old ten cents uh, comic books. Actually, I bought Marvel. I was fantastic for number two off the racks because it was still a dime, and DC had just raised the prices to twelve cents. So, you know, <laughs> I, I grew up with all that stuff, and I, you know, people, kids could afford. I mean, comics were a dime, and yeah. the expensive ones, the twenty-five cent ones. I mean, you get eighty pages for for a quarter. And uh, so, yeah, we, we bought a lot of stuff. And my brother, what I didn't buy, my brother had, had would buy. And uh, I still have a lot of those old comics that, you know, in my collection yet. So, so when when did you know that this is how you were gonna, how you wanted to spend your life? It wasn't until much, much later about uh, when Marvel, Stan Lee started crediting the creators art by, you know, pencils by Jack Kirby, inks, uh, lettering. Then I finally realized that there were actually people behind me producing <laughs> this work. <laughs> I mean, yeah. back then, there were no conventions, especially in Hawaii. There were no conventions, no internet, no faxes. So what we got were just the comic books. And for us, they had just appeared magically on the stands. But now, <laughs> but it's like, you know, they have names that... and. Tensler, you know, I'd never heard of the term Tensler before, and Jack Kirby, and now we have uh, names to these creators. We knew styles are different, so like Batman looked different from you know Fantastic Four, so yeah. we knew there were different. Some somehow there were different people, whatever, creating those, and but finally uh, we found names behind the the creators, the uh, characters. Uh, Spider-Man, I mean, Ditko, I, you know, Ditko was my first big influence. And yeah, it's like, we knew one guy did Doctor Strange and those old monster movies, those old monster stories, and uh, Kirby, and he did Captain America. His fingers were squarish as opposed to Ditko. He had these weird positions. And, you know, so I became fans of creators. And Stan Lee was the first name I associated with comic books because, you know, everything with Stan Lee presents or... And so to finally work with Stan for, you know, so many years, it, it, it was kind of neat. Or, And it's like, you know, I knew Jack Kirby. How, how incredible is that? I worked with 
Sergio Aragonez. It's just amazing. You sound like you've had a, you've had a phenomenal career, sir. <laughs> yeah. I have gotten to work with my heroes, and that is incredible. Will Eisner, who I wrote an introduction for me, and when I won one of my Eisner awards, you know, I got to thank Will personally you know, for writing the introduction, and you know, it's 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 fantastic. And back then, as a kid, you know, I heard about the spirit, but never read anything about. It. I never read the spirit story until. Let's see, in the 70s or 80s, when these black and white uh, photocopies uh, were being sold in packets. So those, those are kind of neat. I, you know, now you can pretty much find anything of Will's, but back then, we, we just could not. <clears throat> now, now, how surreal is it for you? Cause you? You're talking about you worked with a lot of your heroes. Is it surreal for mm-hmm. you to know that now this generation looks to you the same way? <laughs> That is incredible. Yeah, it's hard to wrap your mind around it. But then, I mean, you know, to the public, I may be, oh, yeah, fancy card. But back at home, it's like, yeah, go wash the dishes, take out the trash. <laughs> have, you, have you ever so, just yelled, God damn it, I'm fancy card. I don't need to do the dishes. No. <laughs> <laughs> so, because, well, like I said, my kids were oh, asked, go ahead. Uh-huh. No, my kids uh, were asked once, so, like being the, the son or daughter of fancy card. You know, he's just dead. So, you know, everything's in perspective. Is it ever tempting to just yell out, do you know who I am? No. <laughs> but anyway, so just go a little bit. So you got to work with your hero. So what inspired going to Yusaku Jimba? And why did, and what made you decide to be both the writer and the artist? Because like I said, I know you said the inspiration came from knowing that there were artists and pencilers specifically. What made you think, not only did you want to create your character, Yusaku Jimba, what inspired that? But you're going to want to handle basically all parts minus the future coloring. Well, I did everything for Saudi because I didn't know any of that. <clears throat> I wanted had some stories I wanted to tell. And when I <clears throat> excuse me, when I found out there were God people doing doing these comic books, you know, I wanted to do comics as well. And one of the things that uh, stuck out was my love of the uh, Chambada movies, sword, Japanese sword fighting movies, samurai movies, yeah. particularly uh, Miyamoto Musashi, the, uh, the samurai trilogy, with, in which he played Miyamoto Musashi. And I wanted to do a story inspired by the life of Musashi. And so I did. Basically, I turned him into a rabbit. And, but basically, these are samurai stories telling about the Bushido code, uh, telling about the Samurai culture, Japanese history and Japanese culture and folklore. And um, uh, I enjoy what I'm doing. I love what I'm doing. And, you know, I'm grateful that I need to do this. Now, when when you created, you, you said, like I said, you made him into a rabbit. Did you, what, why did you decide to to do that instead of make, keep leaving him a, a person? Like, what, what did you think? Of, was it because of age groups? Was it because of what it allowed you to do in the comic book as far as maybe action or whatnot? No, I chose Asagi as a rabbit because he was going to be a, a human character. But I was just sketching and drew a rabbit with his ears tied up into a chonmage, Sunday top knot. And, you know, that's when inspiration came. I loved the design. It was simple but unique. And so instead of um, using human characters, I decided to use all animal characters, focusing everything, building everything around this uh, image of this rabbit with the uh, ears tied up. And instead of uh, Miyamoto Musashi, my character was named Miyamoto Usagi. Usagi means rabbit in Japanese. Oh, and, I did not know, you know that's cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I've been doing this for so long. I mean, just that <laughs> one sketch led to a lifetime of work. Well, that's been, well, that's was it. They call it kismet when you have something that just that fortuitous at just the right moment. You come up with just the right everything, idea. Everything, exactly. Everything fits together. Now, when you first started making the first Usagi comics, did you have like did you know you were going to be doing it long term, or did you think, or did you have in mind just a short series and then it just built up, or did you know I'm going to be doing this for a long time? <laughs> I did not know. In fact, I wanted to do another funny animal series called Nielsen Ground Thumper. And I had a long-range plan for that one. And actually, when Steve Galaccio, who published uh, Albedo, approached me, I, the first um, story I sent him was a Nielsen Ground Thumper story. And it was uh, when uh, the second issue was um, coming out, he just asked, oh, do you have another story for me? 
and I submitted Usagi. And after I, I worked on that first Usagi story, I fell in love with the character. And so I put Nilsson on the sideline, and I've been working with Usagi ever since. Well, I think also, I think one of the interesting things of transitions for Usagi as well is when you went to Fantagraphics to Mirage, you started inputting color into your comic book. Mm -hmm. And like I said, because I'm not, since I started buying Usagi, I've been buying for a while, but let's say within a year, I would say it's for me as well. I've been able to go back and buy the Fantagraphic comic books and the Mirage comic books as well. I found Mm -hmm. two things very interesting. One, I, I would love to know why you decided to go to color. And the other thing I felt was interesting, I was reading the comments section, I was listening to people debate whether or not you say color or black and white. And I thought that was the most <laughs> fascinating debate. Like, I don't know like what the issue was anyone had with color because it just looked nice. I mean, it looked better. But I, th- I thought mm-hmm. that was a fin- did you find that also an amazing debate you in the letter columns as well? Well, when we went to color, we got a lot of complaints saying that the color obscures the artwork. Usagi is a white rabbit anyway. Why do we need color? Uh, they love the, the detailing. And when I went over to Mirage, I left out a lot of the cross-hatching, a lot of the textures. When it was reprinted in black and white, I added them back in. But so I just thought that it would distract too much from the color. But yeah, we went to, I went to Mirage. Mirage were were also the, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And the reason I went to Mirage is that I was at Fanographics. And Fanographics is a great company. But their line of all ages books kind of disappeared. They were doing things like Critters, Captain Jack, Space Arc, a lot of you know all ages. And those pretty much fell to the wayside. And so Usagi was the only, you know, general audience book in mature uh, line. They had stuff that I loved, like Tate by Peter Begg, uh, Love and Rockets. I love those books. However, Usagi, you know, just did not fit into that line. And when Mirage invited me over, I said, yeah, you know, I've had a relation with the Ninja Turtles anyway. I've known Peter and Kevin for such a long time that it was a no-brainer. So I told Kim, my editors at Mer- Fangraph, says, I know, I'm going to go over to Mirage. And Kim said, oh, that's great. Um, in fact, we expect you to have been to have left a long time ago. (laughs) I I still have a great relationship with all my uh, previous publishers. And, you know, they've always been always gracious. And, you know, we've always had a good event together. Now, did you ever think about going back to black and white because of, I won't say it wasn't an uproar, but also because of some of the fans. Did you ever consider going back to black and white? Or did you know from this point forward, I'm definitely second to color? Well, after Mirage, it did become a black and white series again with um, Dark Horse. And uh, back then, black and white comics were a lot more acceptable. Nowadays, you know, there are no black and white comics. The biggest one was Walking Dead, and even I think that's ended. So Usagi was was a lone black and white comic in a sea of color comics. So in order to to survive in today's market, it had to go to color. And when IDW uh, and I uh, started talking, they said, no, we'll do a color series. And so that one that was one of the reasons that I went to IDW. I'm currently with IDW. I've been with IDW for about a year or so, two years maybe. Yep. And we have a good relationship. They're right down the way in uh, San Diego. So I've gone, I visited the offices you know, quite a few times to know the uh, people there. Yeah, I'll say I'm, as as a public relations manager, I, I do the contacts for Spoiler Country, and I have a and I've been able to develop a great relationship with the IDW Publishing Company. Mm-hmm. I must say they are really good people. You can tell in talking with them that they have a, a real enthusiasm for the comic books that they're producing. And and I and, and once again being once again I set up the interviews, I do talk to a lot of pub, different publishers, and mm-hmm. I don't get quite the level of enthusiasm I do from IDW. They do seem to have a very <laughs> inspired group, a very dedicated group, and people who generally do love talking about their titles. Oh, yeah. And they have a nice, diverse line. They've got supers. They've got uh, kids' comics. They've got... Uh, they're, adapt, uh, they're translating European stuff. They've got the top-shelf books. You know, so it's it's a nice, diverse uh, company as far as uh, publication merchandise goes. Yeah. Uh, one thing I, I, I loved about Yusaku Jimbo, once again, when I was buying Yusaku Jimbo, I, I, like, I remember buying it for the first time I picked it up because I mean I'd known about the character for a long time and I, I 
from I believe it from the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I, I think he showed up mm-hmm. in the cartoon. I think during one time during the, in the yeah. TV series, mm-hmm. and I remember and I knew him from that. And and my apologies, but I actually always thought he came from the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles at that time. I didn't realize right. before right. at that moment that he was from his own series. But obviously, years later, as I've been buying longer and longer, I, I figured that out. But I remember going to the comic book store one day. I was in a I was having a, a very bad day for something. I wanted something you know that felt brighter and lighter and something I could just you know mm-hmm. really just enjoy. And I picked up my first Usagi Ujimbo comic book. For, it was and I thought you know this was it was phenomenal. And what I loved about Usagi Ujimbo the the story is that it does seem to operate on multiple le- on multiple uh, levels. There was that there, there's obviously the, the level of you know the, you have the animals you have the action all that but there's also mm-hmm. a lot of uh, deeper levels that as an adult I could appreciate as well so and I and, and looking at it from that point of view I always thought to myself like do you consider Yusaku Jimbo a kids comic book or do you consider it almost all ages sort of you know what I'm saying it's all ages uh, Usagi, I get fan letters when people would write letters uh, I get letters from a five year old who's all the way up to grandparents and. Uh, Usagi's been used in the classroom at the elementary school level, and uh, was uh, grass cutter was used as a textbook in Japanese history classes at the University of Oregon, and Usagi's been used in other classrooms as well, other universities. So you know, it, it there's a huge range of readership. And yeah, and, and like I said, I think the reason it does do that is because I think you do a masterful job with making the less like there's there's a lot of lessons you have in your stories. Usually, you know, there's about honor, about responsibility, things of that nature. But it's done in such a kind of such a casual, subtle way that you it 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 feels like something a kid can you know can grab onto and see it. But as an adult, you can kind of see as well how you go about those complicated steps of making sure those details are placed in there. Right. Well, as as you said, I try to do as much research as I can, and you know, just to make. To touch when I touch on our uh, aspects of Japanese culture here or history, and uh, yeah, I think that comics can, besides being just entertainment, can also be a teaching tool. It can teach uh, values. It can teach about different cultures. It can teach about just uh, different aspects of life. One of my favorite conversations was with this a mother, and she was relating this to me that uh, she saw her son reading one of my books, and uh, she asked, "Oh, what's it about?" And he thought for a moment, and then he said, oh, it's about honor. And I thought that was such a great answer. And I love that story. I love that answer he gave you. Yeah, no, that, that, that in many ways, that, that is a, a perfect, I mean, if you want to look for like the one word answer, that is a perfect answer. And also, I'm also an English teacher at a special needs high school as well. And I do see mm-hmm. comic books are used a, a lot as educational tool. And, and, I, and I do think, especially, like I said, there's the history of Yusagi Ujimbo is, is definitely strong. You can learn a lot about Japanese um, feudal history through it. Right, and it's great because when I started in this industry, comics are still kind of looked down upon, but now it's everywhere. I mean, it's besides using libraries, it's using classrooms. It's you know, it was on Jeopardy a couple of times, like as one of the answers. Out of that video, oh, it's kind of, well, they asked permission, so I knew they wouldn't tell us when it would air. They just asked permission to use Usagi and an image. So I knew it, it was coming, but it was, was just to see on the screen. Hey, that's Alex Trebek talk about Usagi. That, that's awesome. I mean, like, was that like when did you know that your character arrived as, as a as a cultural like touchstone in you know in the country? Like when did you know your character arrived? Oh, probably the with the Ninja Turtles. That, that that was the first time you thought to yourself that your character definitely made it to you know the, the masses. Well, yeah, that and well, when the toys came up, the, uh, it, it was kind of neat just to see your character in three D to hold in your hand. Even though I knew I had to make allowances, so because Usagi had to fit into the uh, the rest of the Ninja Turtle line, but uh, yeah, it's Usagi on the screen or Usagi in, in the on the toy shelves. That was, that's always kind of Usagi's been in. Uh, let's see, I think. Three of the Ninja Turtles TV, so that's that's always kind of neat, and he always looks slightly different, so it's always great to see Usagi like that. And, and I will say, as someone who uh, I did end up buying, the, I did buy the Usagi Ujimbo toy as well. It's cool to have as well. <laughs> Not just it must be cool I mean, from <laughs> a fan point having it. it, must be great to have it as being the creator, you know? <laughs> right, right. 
It's, it's in my. I have a display. I in my house. There's a display case, and I have it in my display case because oh, it's yeah. a cool looking toy. Like I said, and and Usagi. I mean, it just works. I mean, visually, the idea of the samurai rabbit. I mean, visually, it just mm-hmm. works fantastically. Oh yeah. And it's, so the other thing, very oh, striking. Yeah, it's very striking. He, he looks unique. It's a rabbit with his ears tied up in the. You know, and usually rabbits are so timid. But it's a fierce, fierce rabbit. So it kind yeah, of yeah. And I must say, though, I think that contrast kind of helps, like the expectations of the, you know, the, the fun fuzzy bunny, and then you, you know, obviously mm-hmm. Usagi, and he does. I mean, Usagi as the character in the comic book, obviously, is very good nature. But I, there's definitely those issues, like when he's fighting General. Uh, am I pronouncing it Fuji? Am I pronouncing it correctly? Uh, yeah, not Fuji. Yeah. Fuji and he definitely mm-hmm. I mean he I mean he was definitely angry especially when he got his source yeah. taken from him. And it's, it's it's such an interesting, you know, change when you finally see him get angry because he's so used to being this gentle looking character, you know? Right, right, right. And it's also cultural where the the rabbit has a hero because Usagi well, the rabbit does appear in world on Japanese folktales and he's always a good guy. He's always a hero. So using Usagi as a hero of my series is also very it goes back to the tradition of Japanese folklore. Now, when 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 you visualize Usagi, I mean, I know he's grown over the, the decades that you've that you created him. Do mm-hmm. I mean is he? I mean, like I said, we know you know we know he's a Ronin. We know obviously he's a wanderer. Do do you feel that he's a happy character? Because I mean, he does seem to be. It's like I said, because being a Ronin and being that he does wander, he doesn't have that necessarily. I, I want to maybe home or you know f- familiar ground necessarily. Does he? Do you think he's a happy? Consider him a happy character. I do consider him a happy character, and I also consider him like a curious character. He's always looking for more knowledge, uh, and he interacts with everyone because he is curious. Back then, social they had a a very strict social hierarchy where the samurai, which is a side, would be at the top of the heap, and they pretty much. Uh, kept to themselves. But Usagi will talk to anyone. He'll make befriend almost anyone. I mean, that's why he befriended fishermen or the seaweed farmers or just uh, artisans, merchants. You know, he, and it also makes for good storytelling. But Usagi now, is, I oh, think, ahead. a happy character. Usagi is a very happy character. I now, it, my, my knowledge, of, I'm sure, of Japanese history is, is, is not, I wouldn't say it's vast at all. Normally, samurai would be considered more, I mean, I know in some ways the movies they were definitely considered heroic, but they also tend to be written, and sometimes in your story as well, it's kind of on the arrogant side. What made Usagi, <laughs> in your opinion, different? Oh, I just wanted someone, a character, the hero, to be a bit humble, to have a sense of honor and loyalty and pride, and not be arrogant. I want to um, emphasize the true, oh, the idealized Bushido, the warrior's code, where They'd be good with a sword, but they'd also be good at poetry and the tea ceremony. And according to Bushido, a samurai warrior should be well-rounded, should be able to think, should be able to appreciate beauty, should be able to you know, write poetry, as well as, uh, of course, fighting. Now, I think when talking about fighting, I think one thing that you, also, you also do very well in your comic book is that it's how you handle violence in your comic book. It, it's, never, <laughs> it's never sensationalized, the violence in your comic book, and it's never... <laughs> You know, it's, it's, it doesn't ever feel like it's gratuitous. It's very, it's, yeah. it's, it's usually the violence and the, especially the injuries are usually just implied, either mm-hmm. by you know, how you, when you draw in the eyes or just the reaction, but you never actually show it. Um, right, right. And when people die, yeah, and when people die, they have those, those skulls that rise out yes. of them, indicating they're dead. <laughs> exactly. And I, I think that's fantastic. And I kind of, mm-hmm. and I, that kind of made me think, and I was, I was reading your comic books, kind of like, what is your philosophy on, violence in comic books, and has it ever changed in, in your mind about like how you approach it? Well, for Usagi, I keep the violence to a minimum, and that's like the easiest thing to draw, and you shouldn't take just the easy way out. So my, my fight scenes tend to you know, you know, be pretty short, and uh, you know, I think for Usagi, it's a character that uh, attracts people. It's a, uh, the character of Usagi and of the supporting, supporting uh, cast. And I think people are more drawn to that than the actual action, the fighting, the violence. And I'm trying to, you know, I try to do a series where all the characters are well-rounded, not just uh, cardboard cutouts of, uh, you know, people fighting. Yeah, yeah. 
And like I said, and you do a great job. And I think it's interesting as well to create the contrast of a character like Usagi who is very peaceful, but mm-hmm. once again does have this um, violent aspect to him. Or I mean, I know he, he does it like when he has to do it, but once again, it's an interesting personality to give him that he's on the one hand peaceful, um, you say yeah. humble, but the other hand, obviously, when necessary and shown to be ex- could be extremely violent. He'll go out of his way to avoid like he'll apologize uh, to someone um, who's arrogant or something, just so that he doesn't have to um, resort to violence. But of course, you know, so many times that you know that's not the case that he's pushed into it. And I've always made him for the most part, where he is not the aggressor. There are a few times where to be on the right side, he's to, but I try not to make him too too violent or too angry. Yeah. Another great character that you created as well is, and once again, I'm going to get the name, the, spell, the pronouncing, how do I pronounce it wrong? And I do apologize ahead of time. Murakami Genosuke? Am I anywhere close? Oh, Murakami Genosuke. Yeah, Genosuke. Yeah, Murakami Genosuke. That the bounty hunter, uh, I modeled him, you know, somewhat the Japanese actor, and particularly his appearances in Yojimbo and Sanjuro, where he's kind of like a, a Ronin and he's scruffy, he's always scratching himself, he's but he's very cunning and he's kind of like looking out for himself and for money, but he has a heart of gold, and that's what I modeled Gen at. And I made him a rhino because he looked great compared to. Uh, you know, massive rhino compared to uh, next to a, a rabbit. And they're the best of friends, <laughs> at, at least uh, Gin says that. But he, he's a terrific character. I love working with him. And, and I think, is he also kind of like a reflection of, of the of the the way Usagi could have gone? He could have gone the bounty hunter route or gone towards the money? Is he kind of also that kind of like what Usagi could have been? He is. They have variants, but, but yeah, Usagi is on... The, uh, I think it's called the Shibyosha, the warrior's path, where he's trying to refine himself as a samurai, both in his martial skills as well as his contemplative aspects of Bushido. Whereas Gen is just there for survival. He's there for the money. He's there just to earn a living, just to uh, make it to the... But, uh, you know, even though they have these diverse philosophies, as I said, they're the best of friends. Is it... Is it- through, is it due to mutual uh, the mutual respect, or is it something more? I think it's respect, but it's also more. It's a respect and uh, admiration for the other, thinking that, you know, like you said, if it weren't for circumstances, I could have gone uh, the other route. <clears throat> uh, yeah, um, I, I know I've kept you for a little while, but I have a few more questions, if you don't mind. I know I've kept you for sure, a little sure. while. Is that okay? Sure, that would be fine. Yeah, well, yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, I do appreciate it. Like I, 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 I'm just trying to be respectful. I know, I know you're probably very busy, but I, I really enjoyed talking to you about your comic book, to be honest <laughs> with you. So, um, so I'm, I'm geeking out just a little bit. Anyways, a couple more characters I wanted to go just discuss is one character that I thought was interesting that is the character, I'm going to probably pronounce it wrong, Jotaro. Am I oh, anywhere Jotaro. close? Yeah, that's uh, Jotaro. Yeah, that's Asagi's Jotaro. son. But, uh, so, <clears throat> yeah, Jotaro is Asagi's son. But they each know their relationship, but they don't know that the other. So that kind of has a little uh, secondary plot there. But uh, yeah, Joe Tato is uh, named after a kid who used to follow Miyamoto Musashi around, according to the uh, the book Musashi. And uh, oh, that's that's a kind of neat name. And so I named Joe Tato after him. So why did you decide to give Usagi um, a son? Just to make him a bit more, uh, not, not a tragic figure, but more uh, personality, more feeling. Because he has this one thing, you know, he always will, but he can't never, he can never fully express that relationship. Because Usagi's uh, rival, childhood rival, is one that Jotaro has always looked, looked, looked to as a father figure. So Usagi, you know, has that uh, dichotomy where. He's really the father. Usagi's really Jotaro's father. However, he can never really establish that relationship. It must hurt him, hurt him a lot because, like I said, as a father, especially as an honorable man, you would think that he would feel need to be the father. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Be a father to him. Is it hard for him to, in your opinion, to k- kind of give up, on, at least on some level, that the honor of raising the, the, the son that he has? But that would destroy the relationship between Jotaro and, and Kenichi was there. 
raising Jotaro all this time, even because at that time, Usagi did not know he was really Jotaro's father, not until... So, in, in your opinion, they're never going to, it will never be acknowledged between them, or that's something you're going to keep always separate? For now, at least, again, never for now, their, their relationship be really acknowledged by each, each of them. Well, this one, one more character I do want to ask a, question, a couple of questions about. We'll see, I'm going to get her name wrong. Tomo Aim? <laughs> Tomoe, um, Tomoe, yes. So I, I'm so far off. I apologize. <laughs> I, I'm really Tomoe. bad with names, and uh, obviously um, I, I haven't been able to find a, a translation for it. So can you say the name one more Tomoe, time? Tomoe. Tomoe. Tomoe Ame name. And Tomoe Ame is actually the name of a candy I grew up with in Hawaii. It's from it's a Japanese candy. It's a rice candy. And it always came with these little toys in the box. It's like Cracker Jacks, but they had, back then, they had uh, little tin toys, like trains that you could connect together, or cars. Uh, later on, had sponge animals, and now I think it has stickers or something. But uh, it's spelled differently. So you know, the characters for both their names are different. But uh, Tomoe Ame is the She's the bodyguard to the young Geishu lord, or young lord Nodiyuki of the Geishu clan. And Tomoe was uh, inspired by a real samurai named Tomoe Gozen, who was a consort of a great lord during the Genpei Wars, the, the civil wars of Japan. And the story goes that her, her husband and lord, Akiso, had actually conquered Kyoto, which was a capital at that time and set himself up the shogun, the military dictator of Japan. His older brother wanted that title for himself, so drove Kiso out of the town, out of the city, and got him cornered. He was uh, trapped with his... Kiso was trapped with his five lieutenants, or five generals, and tomorrow, and he ordered his wife away, not because he wanted to you know, keep her safe, but because for a samurai warrior to die with a woman in his side to diminish his stature. Oh, wow. So she, the story well, why was that, is, yeah. if you don't mind? Huh? Why because, was that, if you uh, don't mind? Oh, um, because he was a woman and weaken his, his strength uh, or weaken his or diminish his position as a great warrior to have a woman die with him. Oh, so wow, that's weird. I, 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 never, her, I never, yeah. never heard of that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he orders her away and she jumped on her horse attacked the opposing army, cut off the generals, and then the story goes, she went on to become a nun. So, nice. But, yeah. So and that's one of the stories of uh, Toye. But yeah, it, she was one of the uh, great samurai women warriors of Japan. So I kind of modeled my Tomoe after her. So what made you introduce her into the story? Was, was, was that to try to like, broaden an audience? Was it because you felt you know it was a role that needed to be fit? Uh, filled in those kind of series. What was your thought process? Uh, I wanted a strong samurai warrior, a woman that was kind of like a perhaps a romantic interest with Usagi, and she was in the very second story that I read. and uh, then uh, yeah, basically kind of like a romantic interest for Usagi, but also a companion. And um, then she, the stories just took their own route. So. Do Do you think they'll ever? Are you ever going to write it so they're going to end up? obviously with each other or do you think that's something just going to keep like that tension there but never going to actually have it happen you know in western storytelling they always the hero always gets in Japanese stories the hero never gets so I don't know which which direction I'll go wow what what, what, what do you think that is in the Japanese stories where they never get the girl it's they traditionally it's always been like a tragic ending that's that's the type of endings that Japanese were attracted to, or that's the Japanese tradition where you know they they would never consummate. But so, but then in the West, it's pretty different. So I don't know which they were going towards. So, so speaking of the future, what where is Usagi headed in in the future? Well, right now he's in the uh, northern Japan, northern Honshu, in the Sendai region. Uh, going home, uh, I just finished a four-part story arc called The Return, where he returns to his home village and confronts his old um, uh, nemesis and also meets up with his, his former love, Mariko, who is now married to Kenichi. And from there, Usagi will meet up with his, his second teacher, someone I had never referred to before as a second teacher. And so 
And from there, we'll see what goes on. So right now, Usagi is in his home home province. That's, that's very, very cool. I, I just I only have like one other question for you, and, and I can let you go, and I, and I really do appreciate you spending your time with me. Is there any chance that Space Usagi is going to end up at IDW or no? <laughs> they do have the right to Space Usagi. Uh, I do want to do one more Space Usagi miniseries. I've got a story in mind that I would love to do, but I just don't have the time. So, but is in the planning session one day? Ah, oh, as I said, I do have one more, but um, I would love to do it. But again, my focus has been on the Sagi for so long that I kind of like to keep that way, continue with the Sagi. But I, I itch into that do this project. I also did other projects along the way, like uh, uh, 47 Ronin, with, uh, that was written by Mike Richardson for Dark Horse. I did Senso, which is, I referred to um, the Martians in Day 2 of Japan. So I've done other miniseries um, in the past. So I may try to make time for another Space Society miniseries. That would be great. Now, uh, actually, as I was talking, I just have um, I actually came up with this one more one more question. Now, obviously, one big thing that's happening in in modern media is that comic books are turning into other mediums. Mm-hmm. Is there discussion, or have you thought about, or been approached with Usagi being turned into a TV show, movie, anything like that? It's in development now. In in TV or movie? Because I've signed with Gamont. Gamont is world's oldest. And they're headquartered in France. <clears throat> I've been working with their U.S. division for a team. And then we're, it's in development. Now, so it, I, I, do, I do have to ask just a couple questions about that, <laughs> if you don't mind. Mm-hmm. Is, it, is, it going, is a TV show, do you know where it would air once it's complete? Or is it, in the, or is it just in the development stage? Like, do you, is it with an, any network or a streaming service or anything? We know where it will air. Okay. I Go ahead. Because until the announcements have been made, I can't say more than that. That's fair enough. And one other question. <laughs> is it going to be straight animation or is it going to be CGI animation? Again, I can't say more than that. So, so No problem. But, sorry yeah, sorry uh, yeah. to, to uh, no, push no, that. It's, it's, it's awesome. That's actually some of the best news I've heard in a while. <laughs> that sounds great. <laughs> that must be so exciting. Oh, yeah. And we're oh. we're... I mean, we're ecstatic about the direction it's going towards, and we've seen character designs, artwork, and stories, and yeah, we love it. Is there um, is there discussion already of voice cast, or you're not that far along yet? Uh, not that far along yet. We're still in development as far as the story, design, and props and backgrounds and such. So we haven't started animation yet. No voices, no, no actual animation. So... Other than Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, is this the first time that Usagi will have been in a different medium other than comic books? No, no. <clears throat> Back in the early or the late, there was an Usagi Ojimbo computer game for the Commodore 64. Mm-hmm. I think that was the first time he had another medium. I, I don't think I've heard of the Commodore, to be honest with you. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, it <laughs> <I'm> was. Sorry. <laughs> it, look, look it up. It's like the Commodore 64 was a big thing back then and it was state-of-the-art it was 8-bit animation 16-bit animation and yeah <laughs> it's like the old, I, old mario so it was, was kind of neat i mean i know i grew up with atari um I know, so uh-huh. i mean is it commodore older than atari or newer than yeah than I newer think, I, 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 well it's a computer so and i think it predated atari i can't i don't remember or it might be about the same time i'm, I'm not sure i'm not a big uh, game gamer so I never knew that. Okay, so it's been in the Teenage Mutant Turtles, the video games, but this would be the first. So, this is um, the first TV show that Usagi has been the story. Or he's never been in a, in a movie either, right? Animated movie or anything, right? No, he did make one guest appearance in the third Ninja Turtle movie, the one they go back to Philo, Japan, but you can't really see him. Oh, that's a shame. I'm going to go back and watch it now. <laughs> no, you can't <laughs> see him. Uh, it was. Uh, Shot to them in such a way that even though they did did the work for it, you you tell them to show up. Well, if you don't mind, well, do you, do you remember what scene he's in? So I can go back and try to hunt it down. Oh, uh, I think it was a fight in a corridor. It was a huge. It was a banner that Peter had asked them to do Sagi, and it was a beautiful painting. It was like a eight foot tall banner, and it was it was a wall hanging. 
And uh, it was in the corridor. However, the way it was shot, you couldn't really see it. That banner was in the Mirage offices for years and years and years. Finally, uh, they wrapped it up and sent it off to me. So it's in my basement right now. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, an, that's an early Easter egg, one of the first movie Easter eggs, probably. <laughs> well, like I said, you, you can't really see it. And, you know, I tried, but you can't see it. But, you know, it was there. That, that's very cool. And like I said, so, so we've been talking for a little over an hour. I really do appreciate you giving me so much of your time. It was, it's been extremely fantastic of you. Have a very good Bye. night. Yeah, you too. Yeah. Bye. Bye. And where? Back. Woo. You know that Joe Stansky also won an Eisner for best letterer. Did he really? He did because he he, he pencils, he inks, he writes, and he letters Usagi. He does all of it, he, and he colors too. Yeah, and he won he won an Eisner for best lettering because and as a callback to a previous episode we had about what makes an artist recently uh, a couple weeks ago, you would ask you, you would said oh they should have awards Eisners for letterers and I said they do well here this is kind of full circle our guest today won one for it so has won multiple for it so there you go. You know, it's funny that you brought up the Eisner Award for Letterer because uh, earlier today, and if people haven't, you guys will hear this later in August, we did a, a DVD commentary style track for Canto, which is the IDW book by uh, Drew Zucker and David Boer. Yeah. And their letterer, Darren Bennett, is up for an Eisner Award for Lettering. Nice. Not, well, I mean, all in one day. This all happened. Come on our show, get nominated, win awards, man. Just, well, he didn't come on the show, but well, the other people did. It's, he's associated with the show now. That's right. That's that's right. That's right. <laughs> yes, Eisner Award nominated letterer Darren Bennett. Yep, yep. So, are you a big Usagi fan? Do you know about Usagi? I'm gonna be honest. I know of Usagi. Yeah, I I remember seeing the comics in the comic book store. Yeah, um, I remember. For some reason, I have this weird memory. You know, isn't it weird that you have like s- memories that call back in your mind how odd they are? Like they're fleeting moments that don't right. have anything. They don't mean anything in the overall impact of your life. Right. Exactly. But I have a, I have a thing in my head where I saw the flaming carrot, Yusagi, and and Sandman all in a row on a on a on a uh, at Cliff's Comic World. Oh yeah. 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 On the That's, shelf. Oh, so, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, I was like on in a row is what? On the shelf that makes that makes more sense now. Yeah. 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 Like they're Dude, all new comics. Yeah. You know, the only the only so Osaki Yojemba was also on the Turtles cartoon, right? And in the yeah. Archie comics, the Turtles, right? But yeah. the only That's the how only, I know Usagi as a whole though is from yeah. the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. The only Turtles toy I have left that I actually have not like given out to the kids is my Usagi toy. <laughs> That's awesome. Because I love Samurai. I, I love uh, Usagi. I've got, um, I've got the first oh. like six issues of his new series, and I've, I've got some of the old one. I, I just, it's so good. So people know we went to San Diego Comic Con in 2018. Yes, we went yep. in 2017. We went in 2018. In 2018, one of the the uh, special books that we got because oh yeah, uh, Mill Geek Comics gave us their tickets. So shout out to uh, Russell Bright over there at Milk Geek Comics because he gave us, not only did he give us the tickets, he gave us luncheon tickets to, yeah. and that's how we know uh, Mr. Sumner of yeah. Titan Entertainment. Oh, that's Sumner. how we got to meet. I love you, man. Yeah. <laughs> that's how we got to meet the creator of The Walking Dead. Robert Kirkman, yep. Yep. And so it was a lot of, it was a lot of fun and it was a big deal. So one of the books that we got at the luncheon, though, was this special Usagi Jimbo and team and T crossover issue. Yeah. Yeah. The, a special variant. Johnny cover. fell out of his chair <laughs> and we kind of go back and forth on who gets to keep what could be only, cause they would only give us one bag at that time. Yeah. Because yeah. It, was, it was one thing and he was going to throw a fit if I said I wanted that. So yeah. I could see it in his face and I was like, no, 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 it's, it's all yours. And then we walked out and this is legit. We walked out of the the uh, the room, go down into the conference, into the main conference, not the conference, but the main hall for San Diego Comic-Con. Yeah. And the first artist we see is Stan Sakai doing $5 signatures. Yep. And Johnny was like, oh, 
Right. Well, five dollars. It was five dollars for like donation to the and hero he, fund. Yeah. Yeah, to the hero fund, and he did a doodle on your on your book. Yeah. Well, I paid him twenty. I asked him to do a doodle, and he, I gave him twenty dollars to a little more. He he drew a he did a sketch of of Usagi on the cover for me, and I have that, and I cannot wait to get to my new house here in a month and unpack it and put it on the wall. A thing, and yeah. Matter of yeah. fact, you have my X23 somewhere from that. I still do. So hopefully with the new house, when I unpack, I'll find it for you. Yes. God, man. I found I'm it like, once, uh. and then I moved and lost it. I, I got to stop moving, man. That's a problem. <laughs> yeah, <but> stop it. <laughs> well, this is the last move. So, Thomas. Anyways, this was a really long uh, outro. I hope you guys enjoyed what you yeah. heard. <laughs> if you did love that, please, please go to Spoilerverse.com. Check out our back issues. Um, also, there's a lot of other podcasts that are hosted there at Spoilerverse. There's Bridging the Geekdom um, right now. Uh, Robert, who is the host of Bridging the Geekdom, is on a tear about Snyder Cut. He oh, is all God, about yes. it, and he has been he has been carrying that torch yep. for two years. He's been doing and live streams. It's it's super cool. Yeah, he's so if you're into the Snyder Cut and you want to know what's going on, listen to that dude. He will steer you right. Yep. And then there's Polygon Warriors for all those video game uh, enthusiasts out there, and Funny Book Forensic, which launches August 5th, and a plethora of other stuff. Yep, and we got articles and reviews and so much stuff for you to read and comment on that it just—it's going to blow your mind how much content we put out every day with our with our crack team of uh, of people. And we got a store link right in the middle of that top bar. You click on that, you can buy T-shirts and hoodies and face masks and 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 giant banners and stickers, whatever you want uh, to show your love for us. Look fly as hell while you're doing that. And uh, you know, we get a couple of dollars which help pay the bills here because right now, you know, we everything's free for you and we just cover all the costs because that's how much we love everybody and love our content. And we want to make sure everybody gets it because it's fun. And uh, but go do that and you can help us by you know. Run our logo around, and we get a, like two bucks out of a t-shirt. Stan, so. sick guy. Stan, Stan, sick guy. Stan, sick guy. You know what that's from? What? Uh, Ricardo. Uh, uh, <laughs> You know what I'm talking about? Yes. <laughs> that's what got stuck in my head. And oh, now I'm man. Stan, sick guy. Stan, 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 Stan sick guy. guy. I'm going to yeah. be stuck singing that for a while. Yeah, it'll, be, it'll come apart on the next episode. It's going to be an earworm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, I you think guys that's go. it for today. That's a show, man. That's it. That's it. There's only one thing left to do. What's that? In oceans of podcasts, we are Cthulhu. And as Cthulhu compels you to do, open the mind and be poor. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> uh,